When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Rodgers throws, pass, caught, touchdown. It's the rookie Sternberger. And the Packers climbing back into this game with 8-13 left. Oh boy, sound the alarms. We have drama in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers to discuss. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. And Courtney, I know you just got done reading the Bob McGinn piece in The Athletic. And I can only make like excited noises to talk about this. Like, woo, here we go. Let's talk about some drama in Green Bay. Uh, give me your instant reaction to Bob McGinn writing essentially that there is a power struggle between the head coach and the quarterback and that Matt LaFleur had had enough of Rodgers' act. That is the exact words from Bob McGinn. Well, my first thought was, wow, it took a, a young head coach to do what Mike McCartney could never have done, and that's stand up to Aaron Rodgers and say, no. We're going to do things my way. And that, I mean, that's a bold move. I mean, remember uh, what Mike Zimmer said about Case Keenum, and I can't say it on the air, so I'm trying to find a way to talk around it, that he had uh, big guts, blank. Guts. He's got lots of guts. Moxie. That is what exactly what Matt LaFleur has to be able to stand up to big, bad Aaron Rodgers and say, enough. I'm tired of the act. We are planning for the future because let's realize that you're 36 years old. You're not God. You're not able to play until you're 100. And Tom Brady, the same thing. I mean, I know that they all think that that's going to happen, but by and large, your body's going to break down at some point. You are He's already had two pretty not great seasons back-to-back. Like, eventually, they might want to move on from that and that massive contract that's associated to him. So I think that it was a very gutsy thing to do, and... Second year head coach coming in there. He's in his early thirties. I think isn't he younger than Rogers? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Either younger or just like barely About older than age, him. Yeah, yeah. Rogers is going to be is thirty six. I mean, it's. I didn't see this one coming in terms of of at least the why here that they're tired of Rogers act because. Shoot, I mean, the Steelers were. Think about what happened when they drafted Mason Rudolph. Like, I'd be more scared of Mike Tomlin. The guy's won Super Bowls, and, and he never said coming out, like, yeah, we were done with Big Ben Zach. We're going to bring the guy in anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, they did it, and they just kind of stuck to that. The fact, the fact of the matter is, 
there's something brewing behind the scenes there that it wasn't just all, oh, everything worked out the first season, the offense that Matt LaFleur brought in and Aaron Rodgers, they figured it out and they're ready to move forward. Well, clearly something is brewing behind the scenes that maybe sooner rather than later. And yes, I think that they know that Jordan Love is a developmental prospect, but they are ready to make him the number two quarterback. And, you know, you know how close that could be to potentially taking over Aaron Rodgers' job if they see another pedestrian season from him. Uh, To your point about having the uh, gumption to make a move like this for the head coach and general manager in Green Bay, uh, they both not only might have just signed their own death wish by not getting Aaron Rodgers' weapons after a 13-3 and season uh, in which they went to the NFC Championship game, but... Uh, they also primed themselves for potentially being an NFL and Green Bay laughingstock forever if they have alienated Aaron Rodgers to the point where he doesn't want to play for them anymore. And after this year, or even before this year, he demands to be traded. I, I don't know if it'll happen before this season, but after next season, it very possibly could, and they will be forced to turn it over to Jordan Love and essentially put their entire careers in Jordan Love's hands. And oh, by the way, as Bob McGinn writes in this piece, and it's very true, um, executives around the league very split on Jordan Love. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it here on the show. I'm not a fan at all of him as a guy who projects to be a really good quarterback just because of what history tells us about quarterbacks that turn the ball over and are very inconsistent in college. That does not change in the NFL. So if you're Matt LaFleur and let's say you go 9-7 and this year with a very frustrated Aaron Rodgers and then you trade him to whoever and uh, you see Jordan Love not do what Aaron Rodgers did but completely fall on his face for a couple of years, you are known forever as the Jokers who forced out Aaron Rodgers for a quarterback that couldn't play. I mean, you are really putting yourself out there when I think the smarter way to go would have just been to say, look, Aaron Rodgers was not perfect last year. I'm sure he was frustrating at times because he is Aaron Rodgers, but... Pro Football Focus ranked him as the eighth best quarterback in the league still. I think that's exactly right for where he belongs, is somewhere between 7 and 12. And if you are so upset that the 7th to 12th best quarterback in the league won't perfectly accept your offense and wants to do some things differently or is petulant or a pain in the butt, um, so you turn it over to a quarterback who might be horrendous, uh, yeah, <laughs> guts is a way to describe it. Stupid is another way. I think I would have rather just given him LaVisca Chenault and said, hey, throw the ball to that guy on those short passes and let him run through people and that'll help you out. Or getting him another offensive lineman to help him after Brian Bulaga left or, or whatever it might be trying to intentionally alienate one of the 10 best players who plays the position is not really a great play for you especially after you just went 13 and 3 I think well I, and I didn't like Gutekunst's comments about how the class of wide receivers was 12 deep like to me that's a very lazy argument like yep. did you how did you one team see something different than 31 others that yeah. capitalized on how good, historically good, this wide receiver class is. To me, that's a BS cop-out. Yeah. Because yeah. think about it. Their second-round pick, they picked a running back from Boston College. And I've heard A.J. Dillon's really good. But what are you going to do? Are you going to all of a sudden like change your offense and have go by committee with um, with uh, Jones and, and Williams and now this guy, Dillon? Like, that doesn't seem to make a whole ton of sense. I mean, yeah. 
yeah, you, I guess you are making Aaron Rodgers effectively into a game manager if you're asking him to hand the ball off, but that's not going to make him any happier. But then to get like the third or fourth best tight end in a really crappy class of tight ends this year and the third round pick, you traded the fourth round pick to move up, so you kind of were behind the eight ball there with the wide receivers you could have gotten in rounds two or three, but why not just get a receiver in round two or three? That doesn't right. make any sense to me. That's the frustrating part here. Yeah, I get it. By the fifth round, you're probably thinking, okay, undrafted free agency, a lot of these guys already have either a fifth or a six-round six grade and we'll be able to bid on them. Um, but you're causing your team more problems there. The guys that they took who had injury concerns didn't make a whole ton of sense. Um, I just feel like they're looking for scapegoats here throughout their uh, post-draft process of explaining what the hell happened. Um, and I just don't... I don't buy the argument. I just think that there were so many chances for them to put weapons around Rodgers while still drafting Jordan Love. Like, yes, they might not be happy with Aaron Rodgers and the this is my castle, this is my kingdom, and you're coming into it, but we're still going to do the things my way while I'm still here. They might not have been thrilled with that. But they didn't have to self-sabotage. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> right. what they point. did. Yes. Like, you're asking, this team is no better than it was last Wednesday before the draft for 2020. You have not improved anything for the following season. Uh, maybe they know something that we don't know. Maybe they don't think the season's going to be played and it'll be fine and they can go to already fast forward 2021 when these guys somehow, if they're ever able to get together, can, um, can contribute. But right now it makes absolutely zero sense and I, I don't know the 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 stuff that we've seen from you know both Lafleur and from Gutekunst. I believe they talked right after the draft. None of it makes any sense to me, and the and the explanations feel like excuses. Self sabotage sounds exactly right. And even though the criticisms of Aaron Rodgers are true, that he does not throw the ball sometimes, he has more throwaways uh, than anybody else in the NFL per drop back or something like that over the last couple of years. But he also has the lowest interception rate too, and has avoided turnovers, which helps you get a chance to win games as well. And what I think that LaFleur wants because of the coaching tree that he comes from is he wants his Jimmy Garoppolo. He wants his Kirk cousins, his Jared Goff that could sort of be someone that will do exactly what he wants at all times. Like it's one of the reasons that Kyle Shanahan is obsessed with Kirk cousins is because if you draw it up, Kirk cousins will execute it, but he won't do anything more than that. He will never bail you out. He'll never do something special that shocks and awes you. It's always, Hey, if you drew it up and the guy was open, He'll execute that play, and Rodgers uh, will make changes at the line of scrimmage. He'll tell receivers to run different routes because he sees something. He's much more of a dynamic player, which well, is yeah, why... Well, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I mean, Kirk can't do those things. Like, not the majority of NFL quarterbacks cannot because there's too much going on, and when they get to the line of scrimmage, it's either the kill play or you're going with what the coach just told you before the headset cut out. Like, that's the beauty of Aaron Rodgers. And when you have somebody who has that mental wherewithal to handle it all under pressure and to be able to know exactly where every single other player needs to be, but also how to change stuff on the fly, I wouldn't mess with that. Like I, I think you can still have that and build for the future, but it seems like they're trying to take that away from him. Yeah, I, I think you could do this without having completely alienated Aaron Rodgers, uh, and you could probably have done it 
waiting another year and tried to stay with this team that just got so very close. I mean, you were right there. NFC Championship, you you would think that the plan would be, all right, let's figure out what we can improve on this offensive side. And one of those parts is that Rodgers simply did not have people to throw to at big times and did not have playmakers outside of his running back um, and Devontae Adams, but that was about it. And uh, you would think, let's see if we can improve that. And if there's a position that might be able to step in and give you that right away it is a playmaking wide receiver and instead they go running back so it wasn't just the Jordan Love pick it was the entire draft that seemed like a power move for them basically to flip off Aaron Rodgers and look I get I'm the one who's been saying Aaron Rodgers is washed on this show for a year and apparently they agree but I would also say if you can get a guy who is a fringe top 10 quarterback in the NFL that you can go to the NFC Championship with, you might just want to see how that goes and and help him out as much as you possibly can rather than alienating him in every way. Like, Was there another way that they could have played this out that they didn't have to blow up the relationship between the coach and the general manager and Aaron Rodgers at this point. And uh, as I've been watching Last Dance with Phil Jackson, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just puts on a clinic for how to deal with players even late in their careers who have been the franchise and who have been in command for the entire time. And the fact that Phil Jackson would bring in Michael Jordan into the conversation about whether to let Dennis Rodman take a vacation midseason. Um, it really tells you something about how good he was for forming that relationship with a very volatile and aggressive and you know demonstrative superstar. And, and Matt LaFleur seems to be going the exact opposite way. And, you know, how often does a head coach win these things? It's usually not that often. And I think Matt LaFleur has made a big mistake here uh, where he probably could have played both sides of the coin. And instead, he went the exact opposite way and uh, decided to do everything he could to alienate the star player who, by the way, if the Packers are going to get to the Super Bowl next year or not, guess who that depends on? That's Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be the... And, and I, I just don't buy into the light of fire under Aaron Rodgers because uh, I don't think that's a guy that you talk about lighting a fire underneath him. I think he's always that guy who is you know, uber competitive to where he could have been one of the best in the NFL and in NFL history for a while. So it's, I don't think, oh, they drafted Jordan Love, so now Aaron Rodgers will definitely go along with uh, what his coach is saying and take it to another level. I, I just don't see that as a potential outcome. I think it has much more chance to completely rip this team apart and have them go 8-8 eight and eight next year. So I've been doing a lot of reading during quarantine. Outside of grinding the tape, I, knew, I do have some other hobbies, and reading is one of them because I like to read books and I like to get smarter. Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I think every <laughs> single NFL coach and general manager should have this book on their book stand and should be reading it page to page, cover to cover, every single year, just because there's certain things that you have to do in order to keep the peace and in order to make sure you have a winning team and not let your ego get in the way. What have we seen twice this offseason? Bill Belichick 
deciding that this is my team. We're going to win without you, Tom Brady. We are not giving you what you deserve, which is the extension to keep you playing here as long as you want till age 45. You wouldn't give him a two-year extension because it was not the Patriot way because Bill Belichick decides when things start and when things end. That was the first example. The second example of it is here, too, where they decided to go get Jordan Love. Honestly, I think he would have been available at 30 had they just stayed there and not traded that fourth-round pick. You know, I, I read in the article that they were interested in trading with the Vikings at 25 when the Vikings had then, uh, it's probably the trade compensation and because they probably don't want to trade with Green Bay on draft night. I mean, who knows? You Why, Why if, if let's say Jordan Love pans out, why go ahead and be the team that allowed that to happen? I yeah. get it. Division rival, whatever. Yep. Um, you don't want to help them. So those those two things are, you know, not mutually exclusive. But then you take a look at what you could have done. You still could have gotten Jordan Love and then also got a wide receiver, and then also been able to upgrade your offensive line. And major priorities, hey, Aaron, we're going to try to do this that helps both of us because we can't trade you right now. So, by by the way, if they ended up putting themselves in a hole where Aaron's like, screw you guys, I don't want to play, that's $45.9 million in dead money for 2020. Like, not happening. He's going to be under contract with them whether he likes it or they like it or not for the next two years. That is the only way it financially makes sense. So to essentially poke the bear here at a time where it's not financially responsible, nor you're in the midst of being able to get back to the NFC Championship possibly when you actually have weapons you can put around Aaron Rodgers when they are there for the taking and you don't do that, that's ego getting in the way of keeping a football team that has been firing on all cylinders in spite of Aaron Rodgers' recent crappy play from time to time. You're, you're self-sabotaging. There's no other way to do it. And I, you know, I'm happy to give my copy of Ego is the Enemy to <laughs> Matt LaFleur if he doesn't have it. Um, because you can learn a lot from that. And I'm trying to be more stoic. I know that I don't really come across like it when I'm talking about things like this that irk me. But um, it, it just doesn't make a whole ton of sense. It feels like their pride and trying to tell Aaron Rodgers, we run the show now. I'm the captain really got in the way. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And uh, ego, when it comes to this stuff, I mean, sort of like how all the Belichick uh, coaches fail. And part of the reason is because they take a Belichick type of stance, but without a Tom Brady, and that ends up usually alienating everybody around them and uh, completely blowing up their locker rooms and things like that. And it's another ego thing. Like, you know, this is how this is how I do things. I'm in charge. I'm the head coach here. And if you don't have the rings to go along with that, it really doesn't bring a whole lot of. Uh, you know, a whole lot of weight. And I think that in part, Matt LaFleur is dealing with the same thing here is that, you know, other people in the locker room, I'm sure have been frustrated at times with Aaron Rodgers. And like you said, there are games where you go, is this Aaron Rodgers or is this like yeah, some other the guy? First, the first San Francisco game after they were on that street. And you're like, who is that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, but still the bigger picture is there aren't that many quarterbacks who are so much better than Aaron Rodgers. And, I think it's a better play to try to make the most of his final years here and see if you could go to a Super Bowl and then address the quarterback situation rather than like work with him and try to maximize him rather than undermining him, which in the short, you know, if you were, if you were guaranteed that you were going to have 15 years as a head coach, if you're Matt LaFleur, then sure, you might say, well, who cares about this? Because if Jordan Love doesn't work out, I'll get my next quarterback and I'll find it anyway. But now you're really with the nature of the game putting all of the eggs in the Jordan Love 
Love basket. And you either have a chance to have him work out and then everyone sort of forgets about all this drama and then that and that's great for you and you are the head coach for a long time. But if it doesn't work out, you are a laughing stock forever in Green Bay. If this does not work out, yeah, and you you ruin the legacy. You 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 are the Jerry Krause of the Green Bay Packers. Um, not saying that they went ahead and said this is Aaron Rodgers last year, but shoot, it may be he may not want to be there anymore because he may not jive that well with the very obvious conclusion here that they are shifting to a run first attack. Otherwise, why do you take a running back in the second round? And that's the other part of this that's silly, is that it all sort of points to, like you just said, that going to a run-first attack, which this is the year 2020, and just because a team with a good running game went to the Super Bowl, and by the way, one of the top five most efficient passing games uh, you know, in the NFL, this, this whole thing about where well, we're going to go run-first, 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 would Patrick Mahomes just won the Super Bowl by passing it all over you in the fourth quarter? I just I just don't know that that... I know we're sort of shifting back to how they played when uh, Gary Kubiak was young in his career in the 90s of run-first and then play action off of it. Um, but you know, I, I don't know that that is the, the way to actually win a Super Bowl or if the San Francisco 49ers were so dynamic that they could have done anything. They had great running game, great passing game, very good quarterback, very good offensive line, brilliant head coach. Uh, you know, I, I think that Matt LaFleur is sort of a Kyle Shanahan cover band, but not Kyle Shanahan or not Gary Kubiak in, in the way that they you know, are able to approach this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it would have been much smarter to come in and say, like, this is my offensive philosophy, Aaron. What works for you? Like, what do you like? What do you think has worked? And that's more Bruce Arians style. Um, you know, after reading his book last summer, what he did was always sit down with the quarterbacks and figure out what they were most comfortable with and then work around that. I think that's, that's a just, better approach with Rodgers. Oh, that's just what I just don't understand. Like, that's what drives me nuts because I remember specifically – asking this question like 15 times when John Filippo came into the Vikings and it seemed like a very basic question. New offense, new quarterback. Are you guys going to sit down in a room together and be like, hey, here's 15 plays that I like. What are 15 plays that you like? And nobody would give me that answer to be like, yeah, that's how we're going to do it. And it obviously didn't sound like they did it that way. Why is that so difficult for coaches? Tell me, because I don't understand why... Ego keeps getting in the way of, this is my show, we're running it the way that I want to do it. Like, you're asking somebody else to do something, so why wouldn't you try to tap in to what they do best? That makes absolutely no sense, and I feel like it's the exact same thing in Green Bay right now. Matt LaFleur saying, hey, it's my second year here, but we're going to start doing things my way. I let you run the show for the most part throughout the 2019 season. I'm tired of it, and that's what you kind of can gather from Bob McGinn when he's talking about uh, that Aaron Rodgers was, quote, difficult to coach last year and that he will be, quote, even more difficult to co- quote <laughs> coach, end quote, uh, if the team shifts towards a run-based attack in 2020. Like, you why? I, I just don't understand it. Like, unless the coach is going to go out there and play quarterback himself, and I know that that sounds like such a meathead argument that I'm trying to make, but it makes no sense. Like, it's literally you're alienating somebody who won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, uh, it. and here's the thing. This happened in Pittsburgh not that long ago, and Ben Roethlisberger was kind of a jerk about it when he was talking about, well, Mason Rudolph can, you know, I'm not going to help him. I'm not going to go out of his, my way. Pretty sure that the exact same thing, thing happened in Baltimore. Um with when Lamar Jackson was uh, drafted and there weren't any sort of parades going around saying, oh, look, he's going to be able to learn from somebody in Joe Flacco who won a Super Bowl and all this stuff. Well, Joe Flacco got himself out of there not too long after. 
And I just don't get why teams treat this thing this way, where you're treating people who have done more than enough for the franchise and who have shaped the future and the face of the franchise, uh, you're treating them like they're indispensable. And that is just not an okay thing to do. And imagine where we would be as a society, but mostly within the NFL world, if ego didn't get in the way and we all did this together as a group effort of, hey, Aaron, Sit him down before the draft. If there's a quarterback that we think we can potentially get with a 30th pick or maybe we can trade up just a little bit, we're going to do it because we're starting to think about the future. You're not father time. You don't get to decide whether you're going to be able to play till you're 45, till you're 50, whatever. I mean, you're 36 right now. Your worst years are ahead of you, potentially. The best years of, of, of your career could potentially be ahead of you, but you don't have that much more time. We're going to draft a quarterback if we can get, if we get one, at the right fit. But we're also going to try to get you what you want and what you need. Because you know what? They failed to do that in free agency last year, and they failed to do it in the draft outside of Jay Sternberger. Two years in a row where they have neglected their quarterback and alienated him, and now they're in a far worse situation because I don't think you can just guarantee that the luck that they had last year, think about that Detroit game, week four of the season, whatever it was, think about that that should not have been a win for them, and all the other things that broke their way in 2019. You cannot rely on that happening again, and your team is in no better shape to get there than they were Wednesday before the draft. So I was attempting to redraft here if you were the Packers and you didn't hate Aaron Rodgers. And uh, the options are so numerous at not 26, but they would have been, what, 30? Was that where they were initially picking? Initially, 20, initially 30? yes, they were Okay, 30. 30. Uh, so if you were at 30, the next couple of wide receivers off the board would have been T. Higgins and Michael Pittman, and then LaVisca Chenault not far after that. All three of those guys sound like great options for him. You know, a couple of outside receivers who are good route runners, and then uh, a playmaker that you could throw short passes to and have him make plays. K.J. Hamler, kind of the same thing, a guy who could be a deep threat or a guy who could be a playmaker. Uh, Chase Claypool also on the board at that time. And another thing that might have been interesting is if they had decided, instead of taking the running back, A.J. Dillon, now if they had traded up to take... You know, Jalen Hurts, instead of Philadelphia taking him, I think that would have been received so much better because you would have been saying, all right, well, it's a second-round quarterback. It makes sense. Uh, he's a developmental player, but he's also you know an A-plus character guy that could be a backup. They would have had to trade up to make that happen. Um, but even, You would have been giving up your fourth-round pick anyways, which you gave up for Jordan Love. Like You probably would have been giving up more than that to get there at 58 or wherever. Not 58, that's where uh, the Vikings picked. Wherever Jalen Hurts was taken in the second round, it was later. Um, but you still would have been giving up that fourth-round pick either way, I think, to get that much further up in the draft in the second yes. round. And yep. they gave it up to be able to get a quarterback that you're not sure is going to pan out. Like it just if it was a different position, you could absolutely understand giving up the fourth round pick to get a wide receiver or, you know, address a different position that's not running back. And in the second round when they took a running back, uh they could have gone with um, either Antonio Gibson, who's listed as a running back, but is sort of a similar type of playmaker. Uh, they could have improved at guard with Damian Lewis. They could have gone with Josh Jones, who surprisingly was still on the board. They need a tackle for sure with Brian Bulaga leaving. Um, Lynn Bowden, Brian Edwards, other wide receivers who are kind of interesting there. So to go with a running back is so confusing. 
Um, I, I, re- I really don't understand it, aside from we're trying to send a message, we're going to be a run-first team, and I'm sorry, but I just have a really tough time believing that a run-first team is the way to go in the NFL if you're going to win anything. And then again, you, you picked a guy that is so volatile. It isn't like picking Aaron Rodgers. When they picked Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre was still around, Favre had been threatening to retire for years, for one. So that's one part of it that's very different than Rodgers. The other part is um, you know, that, that Rodgers was a really good prospect that a lot of people thought were, was a top-five pick who dropped in the draft surprisingly. Jordan Love, the NFL thought he was a second-rounder. So, because you lead the NCAA in interceptions, and he's a second-round pick, and you were doing it at Utah State, none of that is very impressive. So you you took this risk, not on someone like Lamar Jackson, who dropped but was a great prospect and a very, very unique talent. This guy is neither of those things. He's not a great prospect, and he's not a unique talent. It's not like you got some freak athlete quarterback that you thought – you know, you would switch your team to playing that way. This is a guy who has, I think, a very high bust rate if you put him kind of, uh, I guess, in a box. Like if you said, like, here is his his box things that, you know, he is inaccurate. He threw a lot of interceptions, but he has these pluses. I mean, and, and then compare him to other quarterbacks throughout history. He's got a very high, like, bust rate, I think. So, um, you know, they... They made a mistake, I think, in undermining their quarterback and not trying to help him for next year after just going 13 and three. And then they made another additional mistake by having it be this particular quarterback that they decided to blow up that relationship for. So, uh, let's take a break. At three o'clock, we're going to have Rob Domoski in, uh, from Green Bay, covers it for ESPN, to further discuss this story and what it means that the Packers have drafted Jordan Love and no one else to help Aaron Rodgers. But I want to dive into next with you, Courtney, the Vikings depth chart. What does it look like now that they have 15 new human beings on the roster? Let's discuss it when we come back. It is Purple Daily here on Score North. A quick thank you to DennisKirk.com for supporting Score North and Purple Daily. It's obviously crazy times right now, but one thing you still can do is get out and ride, and the weather seems to be telling us it's time to get you and your motorcycle Ready for this year's riding season. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, cruiser, sport bike, dirt bike, or any other type of motorcycle, they have what you need. And now through May 28th, Dennis Kirk is offering 0% interest for up to 12 months. Over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 order ship free. DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North and many of our local advertising partners remain open for business during the coronavirus pandemic. You can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together, and we need your support to help our local community. To hear from our area partners, please visit scorenorth.com and use the keyword open. Matthew Collar and Eric Eager over at scorenorth.com right now have the top five journeyman quarterback seasons of all time. This is the final piece of their 20 greatest journeyman quarterback seasons of all times. Five down to one. So go check that out, including two seasons that may not make Vikings fans happy, but 
They are journeyman quarterback seasons, and they are among the best that have ever been had in the NFL. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. So this is apps right here. Uh, Andrew Filipponi, our buddy from Pittsburgh Sports Radio, says, uh, quoting Nate Burleson on NFL Network, Big Ben somewhat orchestrated them not taking a quarterback. They should have went with a quarterback. But look what happened a couple of years ago with Mason Rudolph, yes. which, Courtney, you mentioned. Big Ben wasn't going to mentor him. Big Ben is influencing the moves that the Steelers make. And uh, you might think that that's bad, and Ben might be more dusted than Rodgers. Um, but in, in a way, you just have to let it play out. Now, I understand drafting a quarterback who might be there for the future for you. It's not a bad idea. Doing it in the first round with not that great of a prospect that is going to completely undermine the guy who can win for you now in a league where you get quickly fired, uh, I don't know that that was the smartest move. Um, interesting, though, so Greg Cosell uh, who has been around a very long time and is on NFL Matchup, I think, right? Yep. Is that right? So yep. uh, he was on with Rich Eisen breaking down Aaron Rodgers and this move and had some very interesting things to say, including why Matt LaFleur would not want Rodgers as his quarterback. He wants a timing, rhythm, pass game. Say what you want about Aaron Rodgers. He's super talented. We know that. He'll be a Hall of Famer. But Aaron Rodgers, over the last number of years, has evolved, or one could say devolved, into a player that plays a lot outside of structure and outside of rhythm. And when you get a chance to watch the coaching tape, as I do, and this is not an interpretation. This is what the tape tells you. He leaves a lot of throws on the field within the timing of the offense that are there to be thrown. And I guarantee that that bothers Matt LaFleur. And given the age of Rodgers, and, and who knows how long Rodgers can play, the age of Rodgers and, and Matt LaFleur clearly coming off last season, having probably pretty much carte blanche at this point, I think he's looking to say, hey, I'm going to start to put this offense together the way I want it to look. And while Rodgers is great, I'm a little frustrated with the way our offense plays out. And uh, that's just my personal opinion again, but I, I feel pretty strongly about that. So I think Greg is right in everything he said there, but the way that they went about it was still wrong. Like the player that they got and the running back in the Mm -hmm. second round, not picking receivers in a very deep draft anywhere else to help Rodgers. Like if you're looking so far down the road, if you are seeing more of the forest through the trees in a bad way here, uh, you're missing the fact that you are hurting yourself for now. And you might, if you're Matt LaFleur and this thing goes so sideways, you might never even see Jordan Love play. Uh, but I, I don't hate the philosophy of looking for a quarterback that might fit your system, drafting a quarterback who could be your guy down the road. It has certainly worked for other teams at times, including the Green Bay Packers when Brett Favre was there. It's just that the rest of it and the reasoning behind it is, okay, so he's not a timing and rhythm quarterback, so you're going to force the square peg into a round hole. Well, you can still win. I think that's my big problem with it is, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if they're letting Ben dictate what they're doing and they feel like they can still win, then you sort of have to do it. Like the Steelers have a great defense. They can add some weapons. Ben can come back and win that division. You could very easily see it. You have to do it that way, I think, when you can still win. When you feel like the window is closed for you to win, then you start looking down the road. But until then, I would just be trying to say, all right, what parts of my offense work for you, what don't? And that is much more sort of in the Phil Jackson mold of doing these things with elite athletes and what Bruce Arians has done. I think that's a smarter approach for the Packers than looking down the road with someone who's just not that great in Jordan Love. Yeah, and I, and say what you want about 
Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I still think that there has to be some sort of happy medium, which, you know, we're talking about the NFL here and we're talking about coaches and general managers and players. Like, to play the sport, you have to be a little bit clinically insane and not all there. Uh, and I say that jokingly. I mean, I'm just saying these guys are competitors. Of course he doesn't want competition. He wants to do this as long as possible. So, of course, he's going to feel the right. Hey, I won you a Super Bowl. I should be able to dictate the draft strategy. Well, not really. But if that's the way that things are playing out in Pittsburgh, so be it. But at least they addressed the offense around Ben Roethlisberger and getting Chase Claypool, a big-body wide receiver, and then he had a chance to get some quality quarterbacks, and they didn't. Jayla Hurts was there, Jake Fromm, yep. Jacob Eason. Um, you know, they could have even gone running game, too. I mean, they that's something that, you know, they were certainly considering addressing, just given some of the holes on their roster, but... Um, at the ch- at the time that they had, because they didn't have a first-round pick, at the time they were drafting, they said, hey, first priority, we need to get somebody, assuming Ben Roethlisberger's coming back this season, we need to get somebody to help catch some passes from him. Yep. Um, because they've got, you know, a heavy tight end group with Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald. Um, they needed to get somebody else. So they did. I just don't... It almost kind of feels spiteful, the way that the Packers handled the draft and the way that they just completely neglected getting Aaron Rodgers any type of help because they decided to go the running game. Well, you know, Pittsburgh could have essentially done the same thing there, too. I mean, Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins were available when they took Claypool. And they decided that, hey, we have a really good quarterback here, somebody who has been the face of our franchise for however long. Well, he might not have that much longer, but, you know, for the next few years, however long that is, we're going to try to make his job easier by putting weapons around him. Like, you're making Aaron Rodgers' job harder. Do you not understand that? Yeah, and if you had just gone 7-9, and nine, if they had done this after the really tough year for Rodgers and uh, then decided to do it, it would make a lot more sense than, you know, hey, he's still a top-10 quarterback and you still went 13-3, and three, so... Um, anyway, we're going to discuss it more with Rob Demosky in about 20 minutes. He covers the Packers for ESPN. But I want to get to how the Vikings draft picks fit on the depth chart because it's been somewhat of the debate of Twitter where some of these guys fit in, and I want to get your opinion. So let's just start. We'll go down the list here, and you know the guys toward the bottom who are clearly going to be practice squatters will we'll leave out. But the key players here, I, I think it's reasonable to expect Justin Jefferson to be your number two wide receiver right away. Some people have pointed out to me that scouting reports talk about how he doesn't have the best separation ability mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but you know, even if you're a number two, you can find ways around that by using tight splits uh, that we know Gary Kubiak likes to do uh, to get a little more two-way go opportunities for a receiver. You can find ways to put the ball in his hands. And I think he immediately jumps into number two. And anything less than that is probably disappointing, yes. even though it's first year. Absolutely. I mean, I went back and looked at the 2018 draft class, uh, and actually the Vikings drafted so many players in 2015, 2020, 15 players, that they broke the website on Pro Football Reference. I cannot actually <laughs> go past 2019 without seeing this weird glitch, so uh, thank you, Rick Spielman, for breaking the website. But I went back to 2018 because I was trying to think, huh, what was the argument here with the wide receiver group? Who was number three? And they brought in Kendall Wright. And we automatically, all of us, right around now, we're saying Kendall Wright's the number three wide receiver behind Thielen and Diggs. Well, Kendall Wright didn't make the roster. And I have a feeling that Tajay Sharp might be in that situation. That, yeah, you did sign him in free agency. He was one of two free agent signings of guys that weren't on your roster. Um, But when you make a pick like this, 
and you spend that high of draft capital on a player you anticipate being very, very good and being the heir apparent to replace Stephon Diggs, he automatically is the number two. Here you go, Justin Jefferson. Here is a number two job. Don't screw it up. Like mm-hmm. that's what that's essentially what this move is, and that Tajay Sharp, Olabisi Johnson, you know, Chad Beebe, the guys that are already on the roster and under contract, not to mention, you know, the Alexander Hollands and, and Dylan Mitchell, Davian Davis, uh KJ Osborne, the rookie too, but like they all come after. To me, it's Thielen, Jefferson, and everybody else. Yeah, and yeah. that's the way you. That's the way it has to be when you draft somebody number twenty-two overall. Right. I don't know even if Tajay Sharp is on the roster. Like that. Yeah. Could, yeah that I, could I don't depend. think he. I think he could be. He could be the Kendall Wright of this yep. year's, uh, of this year's team, just because. Yeah, he had some promise, and we looked at his rookie season with Tennessee and thinking, can he get back there? How does this offense fit? It might make sense, but at this point. You immediately when you dra- when you use that draft pick at twenty two on Justin Jefferson, he is your number two wide receiver. It's his job. You just can't lose it. Essentially, like if he loses it, it's on him. Yep, yep. The worst case scenario for him is that he becomes sort of a number three, where they specifically use him in situations where they have three receivers, and BC Johnson is the number two on the outside. And we can't downplay that BC Johnson was able to step in and look really good in yeah. his first year and uh, have some potential to grow on that. But I kind of think he is what he is based on his draft status, the athleticism and so forth, where Jefferson, even if it doesn't work out that he uh, steps right in, that he could be that number three who is used for you know slot and, and things like that. But I think ideally he starts off day one of training camp as your number two wide receiver, and it's his job to lose. Um, Jeff Gladney, likewise, starting outside corner, we'll figure out the rest. Like you pencil in Gladney, and then we'll see on Holton Hill, does he play outside? Does Mike Hughes play outside and Chris Boyd play inside? Or is Cameron Dantzler a part of this conversation? We have to find that out later, but Jeff Gladney starts out day one starting corner, his job to lose, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that him starting outside, just based on what Mike Zimmer said, that yeah, he projects as a nickel because of his size and his length. Um, but you probably aren't going to have the time that it takes to truly guide somebody in the NFL to make that jump because he didn't play a whole ton of nickel. He had some, he followed guys into the slot. Like let's differentiate like between actually being a true nickel in college because yeah, they played a lot of five DB sets because you know, they're going against air raid teams in the Big 12, and that's just what you do to combat that. Um, but he would, so he'd be tasked when we talked with Gary Patterson, his head coach at TCU. His task every week was following the number one receiver. Did he follow them into the slot more times than not? Yeah, but I think that penciling him in at like right cornerback, if you're going to have Mike Hughes play left cornerback, uh, is probably not. That's probably the realistic way to do this. And then you get to see what you have in Holton Hill and see yep. if he's going to be able to you know, stay on the field this year and not have any other issues. And then with Cameron Dantzler, I think he could be a rotational corner. I mean, there's a lot of high ceiling there and upside with a player who was drafted in the third round whose 40 time was a little suspect. And I don't think that's the reason he fell. I think that just he's he's small. Like he's He calls himself the needle because probably when he turns sideways, he disappears. Like he needs to <laughs> add, add weight to his frame if he's going to be yep. playing this. And you have to tackle in the NFL, so I think that that's you know a big reason uh, there. But no, I mean Jeff Gladney, you spend these first round picks on guys in a year where you have so many holes to fill. Like if you project them anywhere other than starters, that's probably not the right fit. Yeah, when you draft someone in the first round, you expect them to start and you expect them to be some growing pains, but you know also. 
um, that uh, they are able to fill those roles. And if they're not, then you start to wonder, okay, what happened here, especially when those roles are there for the taking. It, it isn't like, oh, uh, okay, there's three corners in front of Jeff Gladney. There aren't. Like He has been basically handed a spot where he could take over. And there's some other guys that kind of are too later uh, on the depth chart that I want to get to. But Ezra Cleveland, I know we've gone back and forth on mm-hmm. this quite a bit, um, but I think that most likely is swing tackle, second most likely is he starts at left tackle, third most likely is he starts at left guard. you agree with that order? 100%. And I think the swing tackle thing is something you and I have not talked about nearly enough yet, um, that that's not a bad option for him. Your, his first season. I mean, because you've got Riley Reef, you're paying a lot of money this year. And unless you can get him to retru- uh, you know, restructure on a contract extension and have him agree, and maybe you don't even know. I mean, we haven't seen him play guard in Minnesota. I know that we all assume that he was able to because, I don't know, he did it like a million years ago at Iowa. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the only reason that that argument's brought up because he has some playing experience doing it. Well, it was a while ago, but at least he has it on his resume. Ezra Cleveland doesn't. So, I mean, yeah, he could be a guard, but I think that that's probably the worst of the options that you listed Mm -hmm. for his rookie season. It feels like a waste. So why not have him be your swing tackle? And then at guard, you've got Pat Elfline, Avian Collins, uh, Dakota Dozier, Drew Samia, like Kyle Hinton, potentially the seventh round pick. I mean, you have those guys fighting it out for the interior jobs and, um, you know, they haven't. I think this is a good situation, too, that they can test out what they have by not having to essentially mess mess up Ezra Cleveland in the process. I know that that's probably not the right way to put it, but he's a tackle. He is going to be your franchise left tackle if this thing pans out the way that you want it to. Getting some sort of like short-term help at guard, I don't really know what that does for you because I feel like the development it's going to take for him to play that position, a position he's never played, to my understanding, before is just... There's other ways around that. I think if if he showed some potential for doing it, like if they saw signs of him being able to do it, and let's say they mix him in, you know, in, in practices or something, and he showed some enthusiasm for doing it, you know, maybe it, it would work out um, because they still want to win in 2020, and putting a rookie left tackle in there against the Wolves is not an easy yes. thing to do. Um, but like you said, Riley Reef moving inside is probably a better option than Ezra Cleveland being there, that you will get better play from uh, Riley Reef. And I think that the real issue for the Vikings pass protection has been the inside and not mm-hmm. the outside. Like, I, there are some people on Twitter who just hammer Riley Reef, and I get it. They were trying to replace him with Trent Williams, and they drafted his ultimate replacement. Part of that is his age, part of that is his price, but he's an average pass-blocking left tackle. I I looked at the numbers the other night. 40 tackles in the NFL, left or right, allowed more quarterback pressures last season than Riley Reef. Like He's not a TJ Clemmings. He's not a disaster. He's a solid player at that position, but you got to be looking forward with Ezra Cleveland. But if he were to move inside and play against the Akeem Hicks type of maulers, I think he gives you a much better chance at handling those than another rookie um, playing next to Garrett Bradbury. So uh, we're on the same page with Ezra Cleveland. Do you think Cameron Dantzler has a chance to surprise us and all of a sudden end up with one of those outside starting jobs and have it be Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dantzler, and Mike Hughes inside? Is that if they, a possibility? If yeah, I think it is. If they feel like Mike Hughes is the best 
served to play in the slot because that's what you need to realize. This team is in nickel most of the time, and Hughes was really good at it as a rookie. I mean, by the rookie standards, which which means that Mike Zimmer isn't going out there criticizing him, being like, this guy has a long way to go, because the typical learning curve for corners in a Mike Zimmer defense takes about two to three seasons. Saw it with Trey Waynes, saw it with Xavier Rhodes. You didn't see it with Mike Hughes because he got injured, but just think about Mike Zimmer and the way that he talked when we would ask him about the progression of Mike Hughes from rookie minicamp to OTAs to mandatory minicamp all the way through training camp in 2018. He never talked about a rookie corner the way that he talked about Mike Hughes. So right. the promise was there that he was able to pick up that position, and that he played some nickel when Mackenzie Alexander had the foot injury. I mean, he had to play, and he did remarkably well uh, for the first few weeks before he got injured. So if I'm projecting it, I mean, I think Mike Hughes is your starting nickel, and I think Jeff Gladney is your starting outside cornerback, and then out outside of that, is it Holton Hill or Cameron Dantzler? You know, Hill hasn't played that much. He's looked good in spurts, very brief spurts, but he just hasn't been able to stay on the field for one reason or another. Um, so I think that putting Cameron Dantzler at one of those outside spots or maybe doing a rotation between him and Holton Hill might yes. be the way to go. Yes, and, and having those two basically battle it out, because there are some mm-hmm. people... Uh, the draft analysts who think that the Vikings came away with a big steal here with Cameron Dantzler and his performance, his numbers against SEC competition, really impressive. Gave up one touchdown in three years, had five interceptions, uh, low completion rates. I saw that Pro Football Focus put out a stat. He was one of the few people to perform well as a corner against LSU and, and Joe Burrow. You didn't see that very often this year. Um, so, you know, I think there is a chance that because his 40 was not good, that they end up getting a steal. Now, let me just run through a couple of these other players. You tell me who's got a chance to have a role. DJ Wanham, James Lynch, Troy Dye, Harrison Hand, KJ Osborne. Any of those guys in that like middle late, mm-hmm. uh, any of those guys have a chance to have a legit role in 2020? Well, I was going to say Wanham, uh, just based on the fact that you know, if they are going to pencil in a Fadio Denebo at right defensive end and not move to Neil Hunter over there, maybe they do. I mean, who knows? But regardless, if a Fadi's going to be a starter, they need to have some depth to replace what Stephen Weatherly brought you, to replace, um, you know, the pass rushing snaps that you get on third down. I mean, Wanham probably has as good of a chance as an Eddie Yarborough or an Anthony Zettel. That's the yep. other guy yep. they signed in free agency. Right. Um, that would make a whole ton of sense. But I actually wanted to go to Troy Die for a second. What do you feel about this? So I was reading Bill Barnwell's article that you and I were talking about off air, just about 32 players who uh, are veteran players who have a chance to either get cut or traded after the 2020 NFL draft. And Bill threw somebody out there that I don't think anybody would have been thinking initially, and Avion Collins. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it makes sense. I mean, it, you got to figure out who your interior linemen are. Maybe it's a Kyle Hinton. I don't know. The seventh-round pick who... Uh, from a D2 school who was playing left tackle at 6'2", 295, and now going to try to play some sort of interior position, maybe. But regardless, that one was not where my mind would have gone. What if they cut Ben Gideon? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised and, by that. And, and, I think and Troy that's... died. I mean, because he's very limited in what he does as a run stopper. He's an old school linebacker who is not meant for this type. I mean, it's, it's the reason that he's off the field when they're nickel. Like, yep. that's just not his role. And if Troy Dye really is the Anthony Barr uh, 
mold. And, and he's, because he rushed the passer quite a bit at Oregon, um, and he's played in a bunch of different schemes. If he can fit that mold, what, why wouldn't they have Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, uh, Eric Wilson, Cam Smith, uh, and then Troy Dye yeah, rounding out your five? Because he's going to have to play some special teams too, and then you don't have to have Ben Gideon on your roster anymore, the the fourth-round pick from 2017. And, and that, to me, seems like one I'd keep an eye on. Well, you know, he is uh, not a dyed-in-the-wool linebacker anyway. He is a, a guy that uh, could play that sort of big nickel cover linebacker at 224 pounds. Uh, so I'm sort of intrigued by the idea that he could, uh, you know, get out there and play some sort of coverage role. The thing that J. Ron Kirst, they wanted him to be, it looks like in this draft they took about four guys who could eventually be that. Yeah. Died in the wall, Jonathan. I was about to say, do you think you were going to die on that hill in <laughs> come training camp? Is that going to be one of your arguments that when we're trying to figure out the final roster, you're going to die on the Troy Die Hill? Yeah. Jonathan's about to just I hate both of you so much rage. right now. Yeah. He, Matthew, well, Matthew during the draft, when he was like... <laughs> About Josh, I believe it's Josh Metellus. Yes, um, and and tell us more about him. Tell us more about him. There was another one you did that I was about to like punch you well, through the screen. Well, look, uh, if you want him, go get him. Oh, uh, no. Jonathan Harrison, you got to hand it to us. Harrison, hand it to us. I just don't like you sometimes. <laughs> look, I was KJ Osborne this way. <laughs> Can we go to break? I can't handle this guy yeah, anymore. Uh, I know how to take a Kyle Hinton, okay? <laughs> it's the worst segment of radio uh, in the history no of radio. has really gone off the rails. Uh, so <laughs> let's get it back on with Rob Domofsky when we come back next. What in the hell is going on with the Packers? There is reported drama. Matt LaFleur wanting to send a message to Aaron Rodgers, wanting to send a message that he is in charge and uh, that he's tired of Aaron Rodgers' act, according to Bob McGinn. So let's get more on that from Rob Domofsky, who covers the Packers for ESPN. When we return, you'll listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Minnesota sports fans, we want to hear from you as we continue to battle the coronavirus pandemic together. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Need to tell us something right now? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, Score North social media, or the free Score North mobile app. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever. Like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly. So you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Two years ago, Garoppolo got hurt in San Francisco, and Nick Mullins came in. And I'm not suggesting Nick Mullins is a Super Bowl quarterback, but he executed the offense at an NFL level, okay? Obviously, the 49ers didn't win a ton of games. They had other issues two years ago as well. Jimmy Garoppolo this year, who, by the way, not a lot of people think is a great quarterback by any means, came in and say what you want. That team got to the Super Bowl. So Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback of a Super Bowl team. So I think Matt O'Fleur comes from that school. Let's 
Always the logical way to go about it is just chase whoever was just in the Super Bowl. Is definitely a, a model that works 100% of the time. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, we welcome in. He covers the Packers for ESPN. Rob Domofsky. Uh, Rob, give me a cheesiness level of calling this the Packers love triangle. One to ten, what would you give that? It's good. I'd give it a, a five or a six, okay. maybe even a seven, but I kind of like it. All right, that's better than I usually do with these. Because it uh, fits, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it fits. There, there's gonna be, it's going to be a, a bizarre love triangle in a sense of <laughs> – you know, Rogers, uh, love and, and the general manager. Okay. Th- that's the most enthusiastic anyone has ever been about one of my terrible puns. So I appreciate that, Rob. Uh, well, tell us what you know. I mean, I, I'm sure that you went into the draft thinking, I wonder how they'll help Aaron Rodgers. And they came out with almost no help for Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and a new quarterback. Uh, I'm sure that threw you for a loop. So give me your reaction. Well, the one thing I felt, Matthew, was that they weren't going to take a receiver in the first round. Not because I don't think they should have, but because that's just not what they do. Uh, they, they have had so much success developing later round receivers, and later, I mean later than the first round. I thought for sure they would take one or two at some point, just not in the first round. I, was, I knew they had done their work on the quarterbacks. We, we had talked to Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, before the Combine, and we asked him every which way possible, would you take a quarterback at 30? And he said, yeah, if it was the right quarterback, if it was the right move. Now, I didn't know he was going to trade up from 26 to do, to do it, but we knew then that he was already starting to look at quarterbacks. And then the day before the draft, I was told that there was a 50-50 chance they were taking Jordan Love. I didn't report it at the time, but as soon as they made the trade up, to 26, I did put out there on Twitter, I said, look, I don't know if this is what they're trading up for, but I was told yesterday that there's a 50% chance they take Jordan Love, and about 90 seconds later, Roger Goodell announced that they took Jordan Love. So, uh, I mean, I'm not totally surprised, because I'll take you back to the first time we sat down with Brian Gutekunst after he got the GM job. I asked him, I said, Ultimately, do you think your legacy is going to be defined by whether you find the next franchise quarterback? Because Ron Wolf got Brett Favre, Ted Thompson got Aaron Rodgers. And he looked at me and he paused for a second and he goes, you know, I'm not thinking about that right now, but I get what you're saying. Well, two years later, he picked the guy. I know we're going to get into a little bit more about what this actually means uh, in terms of Aaron Rodgers, the future, and you know what the message was. But I am really confused by what uh, Brian Gutekunst had said about the wide receiver class because it feels like there's 31 other teams that felt yeah. this was a very deep class, and apparently they just have their own way of doing things in Green Bay. And he said, "No, I think there were 12, <laughs> and you know the situation that they were put in, not having the fourth round pick because they traded it yeah. to get Jordan Love, uh, that you know." The guys yeah. would have had fifth to seventh round grades to undrafted free agent grades. I understand that. But why not address it with your second round pick that you did yep. have after Jordan Love, with your third round pick, Rob, that you had after Jordan yep. Love? Even in the fifth round, there were quality guys there. Why did well, they yeah. not address it? That's a great question. Um, it's one that we asked Goody several times after that third day, second and third day. 
And look, Courtney, I, I don't have a, a big problem with Jordan with the Jordan Love pick. If you think that he is the quarterback to take you to another decade plus of quarterback stability, fine, do it. But then my thinking is you have to as A a show of good faith to your current quarterback and B to help what is your weakest position. I'm thinking not only do you have to take a quarterback on day two, but maybe trade up to do it just to show to make a show a good face. And, you know, they, I know they, they liked uh, Denzel Mims, but he was gone. And, and basically what he was saying was he loved the guys at the top, um, you know, the top four or five. And I know that Justin Jefferson was a guy that they would have loved to have traded up for, uh, but they just they couldn't get that high. And, you know, obviously, you know what happened there. Um, and then as for the rest of the draft, he basically just said, look, I didn't evaluate it as deep as, as a lot of people did, and I thought there were better value at other picks. I, uh, I, I have a hard time understanding it, I, just like it sounds like you do. Uh, but that's their philosophy, and, and we'll see if it, it turns out to bite him. He said something interesting. He said, look, I just didn't think a receiver that I drafted on day three would have beaten out the guys that we have coming back, like Alan Lazard and, and uh, Mark Cresvaldo Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, uh, Devin Funches, who they signed in free agency. So um, he basically felt like if I took one, the guy wouldn't make the team anyway. I don't know that I agree with it, but that's the thinking. Yeah, I don't agree with it either because I think there were still guys there, even in the in the fourth round, fifth round, that could have been at least intriguing for them. But especially going with the running back, that's the one where I really go, uh, okay, that's a strange pick to not help Rodgers in any way. And, and then the Bob McGinn report comes out, Rob, that says that uh, LaFlores, quote, simply had enough of Rodgers' act. What do you understand about the relationship yeah, I don't, between that, those that's two? A, that's a – yeah – Bob could not be more wrong. Uh, Bob's completely full crap on that. Um, look, a general manager, and this is the way it's, it's structured in Green Bay, and Bob should know it, the general manager makes the call on the, on the draft and the players. The head coach does not. Trust me, Matt LaFleur would have loved to have uh, a receiver, loved to have somebody that could help his offense. This this Jordan Love pick does not help Matt LaFleur and now, and it may never help them. And here's why: Let's say they they regress and go nine and seven this year. Um, Rogers further declines, and they go six and ten, seven and nine. The third year, Matt Lafleur could get fired without ever coaching Jordan Love. This is not this this is Bob is completely wrong. Now, could could Brian Gutekunst be tired of Aaron Rodgers and? How he, uh, you know, maybe his, his body language when he when receivers don't do what he wants. Sure, he could be tired of it. And here's another theory about that. Why would Gutekunst draft a receiver really high when there's a halfway decent chance his quarterback won't like it? So now you've wasted that pick because Rodgers is so hard on guys. So maybe there's that to it. But look, uh, this is not this was not a Matt Lafleur pick in any way, shape, or form. I will soon hopefully have a piece on air, on ESPN.com. Uh, this week about the dynamics that went into it, and I can promise you that it will it will say that Lafleur um, this was not a Matt Lafleur driven pick. So, what is the message then that's being sent to Aaron Rodgers? Because with drafting a running back uh, with your second round pick, and you're thinking that that becomes okay, running yeah. back by committee, and this is going to become a run first offense. Is that what they're saying that they want to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' yeah. hands? Yep. 
essentially they want to be more like the 49ers. And, um, look, Matt LaFleur idolizes Kyle Shanahan. Uh, he's his mentor. Uh, he's one of his best friends. And the whole time last year was a little bit of a struggle uh, between running what Matt LaFleur wanted to run and what Rodgers liked from Mike McCarthy's office, offense. And, yes, there were things that he liked from Mike McCarthy's offense, contrary to, you know, what, what some people thought. And, and the, you know, the whole idea of Rodgers changing plays in the line of scrimmage, the play clock running down to 3-2-1 so many times, that's not how LaFleur wants to play. But he let Rodgers play that way because he's so good at it. But ultimately they want to get more um, – you know, toward becoming a, a run action team. That's not to say they want to take the ball out of his hands completely, but they they want to. And these are Lafleur's words: they want to make it easier for Rodgers, so he feels like he doesn't have to do it. Uh, the, the AJ Dillon pick, the running back, is uh, it's interesting because uh, he's totally different than what Aaron Jones is. Aaron Jones is the outside zone runner. They didn't have a guy who could run the inside zone plays. That is that is the Shanahan. Uh, McVay offense, so so I get why they did it there. The the H back tight end pick in the third round is, is was even uh, to me a little bit more baffling. But if you look at the guy from uh, from the Forty Nine ers, and I'll never be able to say his name right, Kyle Juzes it or whatever Use his check. name is. Use check. Uh, <laughs> that's well, well, we'll try that again. Uh, I can barely. <laughs> I, I I can't I can barely pronounce my own last name, which, also, which has Juszczyk. a lot of consonants in it. Also, use uh, check. Okay, yes, there you go. Uh, that that could be the 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 H back uh, that they drafted could be could be him. So, um, and if you ask me to say it again, I won't be able to say. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does this mean then? Do they do they want to go with three head, three deep at running back? Do you think Jamal Williams gets cut? Are they just going to go with uh, Jones and Dylan? How how do you foresee? You know, if they are going to become a run-first team, if they want to become San Francisco, how does that work with who they already have? Yeah, if they want to be, yeah, if they want to become San Francisco, they better keep all the backs they can get because Williams and and Jones. You know, look, they took they they took a lot of abuse last year. They they played a lot, um, and Lafleur said after the season, and so did Gutekunst, that we we actually need a third running back. Uh, with those two guys and Williams and Jones are going into the final year of their contract. They have five starters that are going to be free agents next year. David Bakhtiari, left tackle, Kenny Clark, defensive tackle, Aaron Jones, uh, Kevin King, uh, the cornerback and Corey Lindsley, the center. And that's not counting Jamal Williams. who's a backup. So it'd be six. I asked um, a scout and a coach how they would rank those guys one to five and who you would re-sign and both of them, I wrote this about a month or so ago on ESPN.com, both of them had Aaron Jones as number four out of the five on the priority re-sign list. Oh, wow. Uh, just because running backs are not worth paying. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a decent chance that they were, with their first two picks, they found eventual replacements for both Aarons, Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. Yeah. 
Uh, I, th- I think that we're having those conversations here about Delvin Cook, too, about how much you value a running back, even if he's special. I, I want to circle back with you, Rob, about just the Lafleur right. system and how it works with Aaron Rodgers, because we played a Greg Cosell uh, bit earlier, him talking about how, you know, that Rodgers is not exactly the timing and rhythm quarterback that someone like Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk right. Cousins is, and those are the guys of this system. So so how, in your mind, did it work with Rodgers in the new system in year one? And if, if it's going to work between these two to get back to 13-3 and three in an NFC championship again, where does it have to grow? Yeah, no, I think that's a great assessment of it because LaFleur compromised some of what he wanted to do, and, and rightly so because you've got a generational talent in, in Rodgers, but Rodgers didn't have an unbelievable season. He had a decent season. Um, he was efficient, as he usually is, only four interceptions. 26 touchdowns is really low. Um, completion percentage was still down. Uh, throwaways were still prevalent. Uh, but they, they, he, I thought LaFleur did his best, not necessarily from a scheme and X's and O's standpoint, but just getting Rodgers to buy in from a leadership standpoint. And I think that's going to be his biggest challenge again this year because of the draft pick that they had. And if players are going to take their cue from Rodgers, and if Rodgers thinks they don't, they're not playing to win now and other players can sense, this, sense that, that's a huge problem. And uh, LaFleur was able to, to really get guys to buy in last year, and he's going to have to resell them again this year. But from a scheme standpoint, uh, you're right. They want to get back to uh, playing quicker. Uh, and, and one of the things that even Rodgers said uh, after the San Francisco game was there was a lot more to this offense that we never got to, and the up-tempo stuff – was was the biggest thing and i know they were talking a lot about how important it would have been to have or it was going to be to have an off season you know with this the the second off season in this system and now that we're in this virtual world that's just going to be so much tougher uh but but ryan goodekunst and matt lafleur both said they can't wait to see what the offense looks like in year two uh, with LaFleur and Rodgers, but, you know, we'll see how, how much they're able to change given the circumstance. Right. So last thing for you, do you see the Packers as having expectations of still being the division winner with the Vikings having a very good draft? Uh, Chicago has a new quarterback. Detroit still has the same coach, so eh. But they got a lot of better players, I think, overall uh, over the last uh, you know few weeks with the draft and free agency. So where do the Packers fit in in your mind? Yeah, I said it um, after the season that, you know, they were 13-3 and and they could end up with a better roster next year with a worse record. Now, I don't think they have a better roster because they didn't draft what I thought they were going to (laughs) do. But it's going to be really hard for them to go 13-3 and again because if you think about it, every break went their way last year. I mean, they had had zero injuries uh, of, of significance. Devontae Adams missed four games. That was it and they went 4-0 and in those games. They played the Chiefs right after Patrick Mahomes had the knee injury. He didn't play. Like, everything went their way. It's not going to be that easy. It just never is that easy. It's not going to be that easy in year two. I, I can't imagine that they're 13-3 and again. But that doesn't mean that they don't make some changes and, and they could be a 10-6 and football team but actually have a better chance going into the playoffs. Now, you're going to have a hard time convincing me of that because they didn't add any weapons. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for them again. And, look, this is going to sound crazy, um, 
but if I were the if I were the Bears, I might think, man, everybody else in the division, you mentioned what Detroit did or didn't do. The Packers didn't get better. I mean, the Vikings, yeah, they drafted um, a great receiver, but they had a great receiver, and and they let him go. So the net gain might, you know, might be the same. I'd be curious to see, you know, if the Bears don't jump back up into this thing in in the division, and and you know, they might be the most improved team. Yeah, there's a, there's a good case for it only because their quarterback was so bad last year that if their quarterback play is average and they get the rest, uh, then they might be more dangerous. Yep. They still win 8-8 eight eight with terrible quarterback play. Well, uh, Rob, the uh, Packer drama yep. is not over for you. I am certain of that. So we will uh, talk to you again very soon down right. the line. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. We'll be seeing you. Yep, thanks for coming on, Rob. Um Rob Domofsky there pouring some cold water on the Packers heat uh, that is uh, coming from Green Bay. Well, uh, all right, now we get to play another game of who do you believe in their reporting, mm-hmm. Courtney. I mean, My favorite now, game. Isn't that fun? Uh, because we have relationships with a lot of people in the industry, and there are so many human beings that are connected to football teams that you can get information from one person and one reporter who says one thing, and then somebody else says another thing. It's very much like the Trent Williams conversation where Ian Rappaport is saying, yeah, he didn't want to come to Minnesota. And then Trent Williams and his agent are saying, no, that would have been fine. And like, It's very hard to parse through this. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's something to watch. I guess I would put it under that category. In terms of LaFleur and Rogers' relationship, I was going, and you were too, in the first segment, entirely off of what Bob McGinn had reported, that he's had enough of Aaron Rodgers' act, is the exact thing that Bob McGinn wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, But Rob Domofsky says that that's not exactly the issue. It's more of just they have a quarterback they believe could work out down the line who needs a lot of development. So who do we believe here? Well, I mean, I absolutely understand what Rob is saying. That And you can understand the argument of why this kind of screws over Matt LaFleur in a lot of ways. Because if you want somebody, if you have an offense, somebody making you know rhythm and timing throws, and yeah, Aaron Rodgers does wait till the play clock gets down to like one before he does that quick fake snap thing at the line of scrimmage, and then you know somehow miraculously finds Devontae Adams open. I mean, that's, that is Aaron Rodgers. It's a gift that you don't get that often. But... Unless he really wants to become a run first team, like that could be the general manager's philosophy outweighing what the head coach wants to do. Like I could absolutely see that. I mean, we've seen what Mike Zimmer, you know, what he wants as a head coach has many times outweighed what his offensive coordinator has wanted to do in Minnesota. I mean, so it's not just the guy controlling the offense and the guy calling the plays who might be having the biggest say here. So I understand where Rob was going with that. Um, I still think that somewhere in the front office, whether this is a giant bleep you to Aaron Rodgers, it kind of still feels like that. Somebody somewhere is pulling those strings, whether it's Matt LaFleur or Bob McGinn. I mean, I'm very eager to read what Rob's piece is going to be on ESPN.com this week because it sounds like it's going to completely contradict what was put put out there earlier by Bob McGinn. Right, yeah, and that's the tough part to figure out now because in going off what Bob McGinn wrote, I mean, that is just asking for this thing to implode next year in Green Bay 
with Matt LaFleur trying to force Aaron Rodgers to play his system, Aaron Rodgers not working for his system, and those two butting heads in this thing coming apart. But if what Rob is reporting is that they were on the same page and had a decent relationship that they could build on their offense, so now you can sort of see it going either way with this Mm -hmm. situation. Well, I was going to wait until 3.30 to ask uh, this question because I told Jonathan off the air this is going to be obnoxious. But I'll just ask it anyway right now because I've made up a fake schedule for you to pick post-draft at 3.30. So would you trade Aaron Rodgers for Kirk Cousins or Kirk Cousins for Aaron Rodgers right now if you were the Vikings? Let's Let's just say that the drama is right. And that Rodgers is beside himself and has demanded a trade behind the scenes. He says, you know what? I am out of here. It's so absurd. I can't even start laughing at it. That's why I said it's ridiculous to to ask the question because the reality is very low on this one. But as you have pointed out, her cousins does not have a no trade anymore. Correct. Would you do it if you were the Vikings? I mean, there are a lot of people who think he's inevitably going to be a, uh, go <laughs> yes. from the Green Bay Packers to the Vikings anyways in two yes. to three years. So if you think that that's going to happen and you don't want to delay the inevitable, sure, take on his $21.642 million cap hit this year. You probably save some money doing it. Uh, he already got the extension in 2018. You'd be able to, if you didn't have Kirk Cousins on your roster, and you'd be freeing up essentially some money and then some by bringing Rodgers in because of what his deal is, the average. $33.5 million a year uh, extension that he signed with 98.2 guaranteed. I'm looking at the numbers now. Um, if they were to trade him, if I'm trying to understand this correctly, so if it, let's say they just cut him, which would be, it's never going to happen, $45.9 million in dead money. Uh, the cap savings that they would get would be negative $29.5 million. Uh, and I don't know how much of that they would still have to incur you know, kind of like how with trading digs, it cost the Vikings $9 million, essentially. Um, I wonder what that would be financially. But from a true statistical standpoint and just the value, sure, why not? Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble either way with what I say on this, so I'm just going to go ahead and feed into the nonsense and say, sure, go ahead and trade for Aaron Rodgers, even though you think he's washed. So I was the person that last year before Week 2 argued that I'd rather have Kirk Cousins than Aaron Rodgers, and the rage from people was uh, uncontrollable. And then her cousins had a better season than Aaron Rodgers overall. Did not win more games, but in terms of PFF, in terms of his yards per attempt, all those things, uh, was a more efficient quarterback than Rodgers and didn't throw the ball out of bounds in half of his passes. Um, So, you know, I think the answer is probably that you would not want to do that um, because this is not any version of Aaron Rodgers that you used to have. I would say, though, if Stefan Diggs was still here, it's a much more interesting proposition because I would be factoring in that he would be able to throw to receivers who were more open, who could get on the same page with him, and that we're not, sorry, like Equinemius St. Brown, but Equinemius St. Brown. Like, still, we've been talking about this guy as one of the Packers' key yeah, receivers, and, and I don't MVS. remember him doing anything. <laughs> yeah, no, same, same thing. But, I mean, you've seen Rodgers, for lack of a better phrase, turn water into wine more times than Kirk Cousins ever has in his career and make plays that you just don't expect him to, to make. And you think about that Green Bay, the Green Bay and the Chiefs game. What was that, the Sunday night football game where he makes that unbelievable throw into the end zone. I mean, those are the type of things you're never going to get with Kirk Cousins. Uh, but can you rely on that at 36 years old, where Aaron Rodgers is in his career, to carry them to an NFC championship uh, if in Minnesota in 2020? I'd like to take a bet on that, sure.
The uh, the reason and, and they have weapons in Minnesota. I mean, yeah, they just yeah. don't. And they at least upgraded and addressed several different needs uh, with you know a high ceiling receiver in in Justin Jefferson who can start right away. Another guy who might be a steal for them in KJ Osborne. Um, and they have two good tight ends. I mean, Irv Smith. I expect him to take a massive step this year. I mean, they have a more complete offense around Aaron Rodgers, uh, and he doesn't need a perfect offensive line. He really doesn't. I mean, so. You can make this argument and say, hey, well, that actually might work. I think the the argument that you would try to make if you said that the Vikings should trade for Aaron Rodgers, because, hey, Matt LaFleur is so desperate to have one of these quarterbacks uh, like Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo that you could give it to him. The only argument you would make uh, based on recent play is that when you get down to things being really tough, uh, where it's a game like they lost to Green Bay, where the pressure is on and things like that, that Aaron Rodgers might be able to do something special, whereas we know from Kirk Cousins' career that he isn't going to put the team on his back. He isn't going to make a throw that you just can't believe ever worked or something like that. He's not going to throw a 60-yard Hail Mary or something at the end of a game. Like It's very rare uh, with Kirk Cousins that you have something truly special that breaks the game. And we still saw it enough times from Aaron Rodgers that maybe that's what can get you over the hump. Uh, there's no other truly logical reason for doing it, but that's the one that I can come up with. I, I think that with at least Cousins, uh, you're getting him in his prime now, so he's going to probably be the player he was last year for a couple of years. Rodgers being past his prime, it's much harder to squeeze more blood out of the stone in that way. So I, I, I wouldn't do it, but I figured just to be really annoying, I would ask it anyway. Um, so let's take a break. I have made up a fake schedule. It is not the real schedule. I will say it several times. The real schedule will be coming soon in the NFL. This is not it. I made this up based on the 2020 opponents. And, Courtney, we are going to figure out how good you think the 2020 Vikings will be now that the offseason is largely completed. We'll be right back on Purple Daily. You may not be currently thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses, even during the coronavirus pandemic. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Time is running short for some cash relief with Score North listening rewards for the month of April. Thanks to our awesome partners, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us and having the Score North mobile app. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app and enter through listening rewards on that Score North mobile app and also over at scorenorth.com right now. Matthew Collar has an article about how each Vikings draft pick will fit into the depth chart as well as his profile on KJ Osborne. And then the final piece of the 20 greatest journeyman quarterback seasons of all time with the top five journeyman quarterback seasons of all time. All for free right now over at scorenorth.com and on that free Scorenorth mobile app. So go check it out. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Okay, thank you very much, Jonathan Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin back here. And uh, I'm going to need some NFL music for this, Jonathan, because I have created a fake schedule using the Vikings opponents to figure out how good you now think the Vikings will be. And if we go back, I think you picked, I swear you picked 10 and 6 the last time. I think I I did. 10 and 6 or 9 and 7. I think Mm -hmm. it was 10 and 6. Um, so let's let's fire it up, and uh, this is the made-up schedule with the correct opponents 
for 2020. The offseason is essentially over. We still need resolution on uh, Anthony Harris and Delvin Cook. And that's really the only things we need to figure out. There could be someone else that gets signed. There could be a surprise move. It is the Minnesota Vikings. But we think we know what they have as a team. All right, so we start off. I'm going to need a uh, pen here to write down to make sure I have your record. We start off with the Vikings at home playing the most exciting game of the year against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ah, that's a win. They head then self to face Rob Gronkowski and the Tampa Bay Bucks. That's a loss. They come back home to face Ryan Tannehill, one of the league's best quarterbacks last year, and the Tennessee Titans at home. Um, who did Tennessee add in free in um in the draft? Let me think about. Well, they that got really Isaiah quick. Wilson, so that's not that impressive. I didn't think they had a very good draft. And at they, all. yeah, they they like got like a C, if I remember correctly, from Mel uh, Kuyper. Yep. Yeah, Isaiah Wilson was the only one that they got, and that was kind of a reach at twenty nine. Um, I'm gonna say that this is gonna be a win. Let's see what that brings me, but I just have a feeling that okay. the t- Titans' offense is going to regress a little bit here. All in, uh, right. Uh, so now we go to Chicago. Always super fun to go to Soldier just, Field. Just go ahead and say it's a loss. They always <laughs> lose there. Uh, Green Bay comes here with Aaron Rodgers just loving that offense. He's super happy. Everyone's happy. It's perfect. When? Okay. Um at Houston to play the Texans and the clueless Bill O'Briens. When that one, that one is always screamed to me like surprising loss. Surprising um, loss, but let's just say it's a win because Bill is stupid, that, and I just want to put that out there. Fair, totally fair. Atlanta comes here. I think that's Re- going to be a loss. I don't know. Revenge I mean, game from last year. Is that what you're calling it? The revenge game from last year. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not calling it that. I'm just saying that they added a lot of really nice pieces in free agency. I think that they're not going to be able to continue up that home streak because you have them on a three game, uh, three game stretch at home. At, uh, no, actually, you said you said Houston comes here, right? No, you're putting Houston away. Yeah, never uh, mind. Uh, that's away. Houston is okay. away. Yeah, I didn't change the home in a way. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, um, I think that's going to be a loss. I think Houston add, or excuse me, Atlanta added a lot of pieces to their defense. Uh, and that's going to be tough. All right. How about at Detroit? Mm, I always typically have them split with Detroit. I will say that they're going to win in Detroit this year. All right. So you have them off to a 5 and three first half of the season. I guess uh, some of those rookies have stepped in. Jeff Gladney's good. Cameron Dantzler surprises us. All of a sudden, Jeff Metellus, more about himself, is doing a great job. Uh, all right. You go uh, to Indy now to face decrepit Phil Rivers and his new very fun running back. Who did they draft? Somebody running back. Who was it? Who did they draft? Didn't they get the oh Jonathan Taylor? That's yeah, the guy. the guy from Wisconsin. All right, so you have them at five and three going to Indy. Ah, uh, it's back to back road games. At that point of the season, I don't know. They got Michael Pittman Jr. on mm, the yeah, Colts. Great pick. Hmm. I will go ahead and say this is going to be a loss. All right, now they head uh, back home to face the Dallas Cowboys. Mike McCarthy, he knows the Vikings quite well. I will say that's going to be a loss, too. All right. Now they've dropped to 5-5, five and five and we're hearing talk of the hot seat as they head to New Orleans oh God. to face the Saints. They can't go on a three-game losing streak, can they? Uh, and they have had they some recent luck against New Orleans. Yeah, they really have. Uh, I don't think luck's going to be on their side this time because if Drew Brees can't make it happen, they're going to have Jameis Winston, and then they're going to have Taysom Hill and whoever... Tommy Stevens is from Mississippi State. (laughs) Four quarterbacks on the roster. Let's go ahead and say that's a loss. Yeah, sorry, Tommy. I don't think it's going to work out. Um, (laughs) They go now from New Orleans 
to Green Bay? I think they're going to win. Stretch, tough, tough stretch. Tough stretch. You mean you've got them like so you four- got them sweeping Green Bay? Oh, I hate when you make me do this. Uh, Courtney picks um, the Vikings. I'm picking, yeah, I'm picking them here. Okay, all right. We got six and six uh, down the stretch here where they play the final quarter of the season starting with Carolina at home. That's going to be a win. That is a win. No revenge, no revenge game for Teddy. No, I don't think so either. I think he's going to have a pretty tough time and all that. Um I'm glad he's got a job because it's a great story, but Carolina, not in a great spot for this year. Out to Seattle, the house of horrors over the last few years. Lost because Seattle is Seattle. All right. And now the final games, and I know they will do this, is being in the division, home against Chicago. And Nick Foles comes when, back to the scene of the crime. And then they Runs beat, the Philly special. Yeah, then they uh, play, is it Detroit, the end of the season at home? Yep, that's right. Again, you, you, should, you should have flipped those fake because schedule. we all know they're going to play regardless yeah, when the schedule comes right. out. Chicago's going to be at home. Uh, man, they're not going to sweep Detroit. <sighs> One, two, three, four, five, six, Don't seven, Don't try to game eight, the system. Nine. Just pick the individual games. I know. I mean, but now, I mean, I could have them at nine and seven or ten and six again. I think I'll put them at ten and six. I'll say they'll beat Detroit because... You have them at seven and seven right now, so you can't get them to ten. No, I don't. Yes, you do. How do I have them at ten? There's like six... You already gave me 16 games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. You gave me sixteen games. Okay, I have not messed this up. I've yes, you have. No, I have not. We're gonna you go picked, back. O- you yes, picked seven losses. You picked uh, Tampa Bay as a loss, Chicago as a loss, Atlanta as a loss. That's three. You had them losing to In Indy. Indianapolis. This four. The cow- uh, Cowboys are a loss. You had them losing the Cowboys. That's five. I so have them. Then you have yeah. them losing to what? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I put them down as Seattle. New Orleans as a, and Seattle. So that's yeah, seven. That's seven. I had them down. At, I wrote a W next to Seattle. So that's yeah. They're not ending on a five game winning streak. I mean, so now I have them at nine and seven, nine and seven, ten and six. Gets I them mean, in the playoffs. I think nine and seven. It sure does. Now they're adding two more teams from each conference. So. I don't know. I mean, now I kind of feel like I wanted to make them ten and six because I think that is possible. Nine and seven, though, and ten and six at this point of the off season, having not actually seen what the schedule looks like and where the home stretches are, what the tough road stretches are, I kind of like this. I'm okay with that. Nine and seven. Uh, I think if they come away with a nine and seven season, so let's talk about the ramifications of your fake season. So, uh, <laughs> why not? Right. Sure. Uh, so, so they kind of, in your scenario, there's a couple of disappointing losses, but nothing, you didn't have them losing to Carolina to get kicked out of the playoffs or anything that was incredibly tragic. They sort of won the games they were supposed to win, lost the games they were supposed to lose, and they end up with a winning record. And very likely, I think 9-7 and seven gets you a playoff spot because there are seven playoff spots. Uh, if there were only six, I would say you miss because the NFC is is pretty strong. Um, but if they go nine and seven this year, that's that's good, right? Like considering all that they lost and all they've had to replace, yeah. you would feel okay about that, especially considering that your schedule facing Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson is not super easy. I think that that would be like an on par for expectation season. 
Yeah, and I mean, all 15 draft picks, as we know, are not going to make the roster. It's which ones we anticipate actually contributing in 2020 that we're most closely looking at. So I think that if you come away from a season that is kind of a soft rebuild at 9-7, and seven, you're okay because you know you're setting yourself up. You've already set yourself up for 2020, 2021 rather, in a lot of different facets. So that, to me, makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I think so. Now, what would it mean, though, for... The front office, the head coach, if they were to have a solid nine and seven season, which I, I could really see. I mean, I think that that ten and six is where we are going to set the bar. Um, you know, is there a possibility that Rick Spielman over these last couple of days in the draft earned has, himself a contract extension? Yes, uh, because everyone's uh. giving them an A across the board. I have a really tough time disagreeing. And now, when you look forward, because if you're Sticking with a general manager on a three to five year contract extension, your thing is not what you've done. It's how you've set this team up to succeed. And if we feel like they did a really good job over, uh, of doing that over the past few days, along with, you know, they didn't do anything crazy that would be like an all in boomer bust type of move. Um, it's more for 2021. Even if they tried with Trent Williams, uh, it's still sort of for 2021. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, does that does that earn him more time? And I guess, could there be a difference between Zimmer and Spielman? We've always put them together, but I came out of this thinking that it might be different now. Yeah, it could be. It could be that, hey, Mike Zimmer needs to be judged on this season and Rick Spielman in the front office given another year, given a little bit longer of a leash uh, after the type of draft that they had in 2020. And it's what Mike Zimmer can do with this team, and you wonder, okay, does that mean that he goes into this season without a contract extension and Spielman somehow gets it at a different time and that they're both not synced up for the first time ever? That would be really interesting. But that's one way I could see it happening because it makes sense. I mean, hey, I gave you all this stuff. Make something happen with it. I mean, they they can say that for the last few years, too. Would you put them in the category, because I know I... I um requested I, I don't know if you had time to get to this though but like a of uh, five teams that won the draft did you did you make that yeah and oh, i mean like okay, i think i think a lot of it is just going to be i'm not trying to sound like a broken record here like i think a lot of it is pretty obvious like the vikings won the draft i mean but can we what does that mean they're one of the five that i had that won the draft does that mean that that's going to translate to a season where they get past where they were in the playoffs last year not necessarily but being able to Hit for you know value of the pick, drafting for need, best player available. A lot of those things, not every pick, but several of those things were intertwined. Mm-hmm. And any time you can go come away from the draft with two 2021 picks, uh, already thinking ahead for next year where they already have 12 picks, including the two comp picks that we're expecting from Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes, that's huge. So I think draft capital alone shows you, um, yeah, they, they were the only ones who operated on the strategy to, to come into the draft with 12 picks, uh, make 15 selections, and then have two extras for next year. I think that that alone gives them a winning grade. But the type of players that you anticipate that they hit on right away, I think also rises that grade pretty substantially. Well, well, I guess my question is like what this all means for Zimmer, because the tests of Spielman are not quite over yet, because we need to see what they do with Delvin Cook. Mm-hmm. We need to see what they do with Anthony Harris, how the offensive line plays out, because if... You know, it still ends up being abysmal and there was no improvement whatsoever. Then, yeah, all right. Well, then, uh, we're going to go back and second guess that one. But they did draft a guy 
who was a fringe first-round talent in the second round to improve their offensive line, whether it's this year or next year, and I think that was a very good pick for them. Um, but then, you know, how do we evaluate Zimmer? So we've gotten mostly Spielman through this offseason gets a, a quality grade mm-hmm. considering where they were at with cap space, what they've had to do. Um, you might not like the Kirk Cousins contract extension, but at very least you've locked yourself into a quarterback who's proven to be good and just won a playoff game. So it's not it, like pure insanity to extend him, and you created your cap space by doing it. You're able to bring in an additional receiver weapon. You're able to replace Linval Joseph. Like a lot of things that you would say, okay, good job, good job, good job. Nothing that I am, you know, raising you up on a golden chair and saying, well, this is the GM of the year, but just, you know, good job, good job, good job. So now what do we need from Zimmer to be able to say that? Is it purely wins and losses? Is it how it looks also? Is it how it feels? Because wins and losses in 2016, eight and eight, not that bad considering what happened with Teddy Bridgewater before the season. How it felt, though, was that bad. And the same with 2018. Like, what the expectations were, were it was that bad to come that far short of it after that season. So I, I wonder if how it feels would be part of it. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll first start out with his defense. How does it feel going through the rebuild? Does it feel like you took a massive step back? Does it feel like these players are going to be two- to three-year projects? Can you fix the past defense? Uh, because that'll point to, was it the right move to say goodbye to all three of them? Uh, Rhodes, Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander by turning the page. Can you? Can we look through the inevitable growing pains that we're going to potentially see with some of these cornerbacks and say, hey, in a year it'll be okay, they're getting there? Or is it going to look like atrocious and just be like, oh man, this is not good. Having an entire youth movement in the corner with the cornerback group is just hurting the secondary. And then on top of that, was it the right move to franchise Anthony Harris? Like, was it just one good year? Or is he going to be able to catapult that into more good years? Or is he going to play on the franchise tag? I mean, all those things are you know stuff that has to be decided in the next coming months. But you know, I think he's going to be graded on what this defense looks like uh, and how they can actually show that mm-hmm. they are in the process of rebuilding, and that it's not going to be a long term project. That maybe they just needed because it was inevitable that they were going to lose all those veteran pieces. That maybe all it they needed was just like one year to really get back on track. And it might be how well he gets along with everyone too you know because because last year even though they went 10 and 6 there was a lot of tension in that building from really the end of the 2018 season through the very end of the of the entire year and everyone's happy with justin jefferson it's a good draft pick but stefan diggs did not thank mike zimmer on his way out in his players tribune piece and if you have more players feeling that way by the end of this year and you go nine and seven then you might say you know what like this was a really good run for a very good head coach, but we might want to try something else sure. now that we're really taking on maybe a different identity. So um, let's uh, let's get your five list though before mm-hmm. we wrap up for the day. So what approach did you take? The teams that just had the best draft that improved themselves the most. Like what was your angle here? I tried to look at like needs and, and kind of understanding. You know, reading upon reading upon articles upon articles about, well, what did teams actually need? Because it's not like I knew Mm -hmm. what the Baltimore Ravens needed. Uh, But who comes out of the draft with a loaded roster? And I think when you take a look at a team like the Vikings, maybe there's a little bit of bias on my part just because I cover this team and I know what they needed to come away with and I knew what their priorities were and the fact that they didn't make a pick that makes you go, what? Uh, that, That really helped. So... 
I mean, I don't have them in any five or in any specific order, but they're in my top five. I think a team like Cincinnati, not overthinking uh, anything whatsoever with the Joe Burrow thing, and also what they came away with in free agency. I know that that's kind of like bending the rules here, but uh, coupling all of that together, um, you know what what they did, what they're building around Joe Burrow. I think that they did really well in the draft this year. Uh, T. Higgins was a no brainer pick for me when they picked him the first pick in the second round. Uh, that to me, I thought was really good. I thought Dallas had a good draft. Uh, the wide receiver class for sure, and hell, they almost got uh, Courtney Davis if it wasn't for the Vikings guaranteeing him a hundred k plus a ten thousand dollar signing bonus. Him and C.D. Lamb, that would have been nuts. So, I mean, and they got a steal when Trayvon Diggs fell to mm-hmm. 51. Neville yep. Gallimore, who was in a lot of my mocks. Uh, Tyler, I don't know how to say his last name, but the center from Wisconsin being yes, here in the yeah. fourth round. Uh, all quick, really good picks. Quick question. Uh, do we look at Dallas as a Super Bowl contender? I do. I mean, sure. I think Jason Garrett, their kicking game... Probably tanked them last year. Um, but I'm not buying into the, the NFC. Yeah, they have the talent. I'm not buying into the NFC East hype, but I'll buy into Dallas itself, like specifically Dallas. Yeah, I think I, they had a good draft. I think they had a very good draft, and I think they also have a very good team overall. They were able to keep Amari Cooper. They were one of the top offenses in the league last year, and then you add additional weapons who can help right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that they're a favorite necessarily, but I put them in maybe the top three or four teams in the NFC. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's right where they need to be, a top five team in the in the conference. And, you know, looking by and large, once we see the straight, like where they have to play and like what their schedule looks like, I think a lot of people are going to agree with you on that. They have the weapons, like, you know, all the trades that they made in, in, in recent years and, and to build the offense and the extension with Zeke. And now, obviously, they need to figure out what's going on with Dak's situation. But it feels like they are in a prime position to be a contender. But we said this last year about them. Yeah, and they sh- like, they really, they really have been. yeah they, really they should have been. been. Like, they were a few wins away from really being that, and I think their head coach came way short. Yeah. Who else you got? Uh, the Ravens. I think think they came into the draft as a very very good team, and now it's kind of like you can't pick out like one weak true weak spot for them, um, except maybe wide receiver. But I thought they came away with a nice haul. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, obviously one of the best wide, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, excuse me, in the college game, translating to the NFL, I the think college he's gonna, NFL, college NFL, sure. <laughs> um, and the fact that they got him at fifty-five was a steal. Like, I mean, yeah. the way the way the way like the first first rounder, yeah, the way the first round fell, and how many wide receivers, cornerbacks, and offensive linemen came off the board pushed so many of these guys who are on all these big boards that you and I have been looking at for the last few months even further down. And and that's where you look at value and say, hey, they won the draft because they got a really good pick. They didn't overthink it when they got to the second round. Like they did pretty good. Quick question: If you were drafting franchises for who's the smartest? Ravens number one overall pick. Hmm, smartest in in terms of just like over, like like longevity. Just, just like, like put it this way: if all the players all said they weren't going to play in the NFL ever again, you had to entirely rebuild every roster from scratch, but you got to keep the coaching staffs and front offices. Which one would you pick to be your team that you thought? would be the smartest in rebuilding everything and would win a Super Bowl. Probably, so I, I, I'd, I'd, put, I'd put Baltimore, put Indianapolis up there, yeah, just given their history yeah. over the last few years. I think that those are two very easy ones to pick. Indianapolis is probably the fifth team to round out my um, 
top five uh, who had the best draft. I think they had a great draft. And dead last is Houston. Green Bay, actually. Mm, yeah. I w- my my bottom three in order. Houston has got to be like bottom three, though, right? We, they are, but here are my bottom three okay. in order from like really bad to like the worst. It goes New England Patriots, Houston Texans, and then the Green Bay Packers. Do you think the Patriots are the worst? No, like bottom three. If you're looking at the like the Green Bay is the worst of like the worst of the worst group. Green Bay is. You, but you, you have the Patriots <sighs> as being a team that you would have last on wanting to rebuild I, your franchise. I didn't know. I mean, f- coming away from the draft, I did not like their draft at all. Oh, I thought you were still answering the question about like if there were no players and you had to rebuild. Oh, the oh, franchise. no, 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 no. Okay, I, sorry. I, I misunderstood you. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's um, okay. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Houston's number one on that list. Yeah, of, the like, Patriots the worst definitely of the worst. didn't win the draft. There's no question. No, but about like that. my bottom, my bottom three for the draft with Green Bay being the worst, it goes in order from New England, Houston, Green Bay. So who else did you have for the best? I forgot where we were on that list. Our um, lists become disastrous. I know we just do this to each other. Um, <laughs> all right, so it was the Vikings, Blame coronavirus, Vikings, Bengals, Colts. Ravens, and I know I had one more, and you messed me up on this. Uh-huh. Where was yep. I? Definitely, I definitely spread blame. Oh, uh, D- Dallas, Dallas, five. Oh, okay. There yeah. we go. Can we go back to Cincinnati for a second? Sure. Like, do we think that Cincinnati is uh, like anywhere near competitive? How many years until Cincinnati is competitive? I bet there's drafting top five next year again. Yeah, I think so like, too. It just feels like it. Follow up question though. Should they play Burrow right away or play Dalton? Now, I mean, the fans are going to want Burrow, but if no one will trade you anything for Andy Dalton and Pat Mahomes won the Super Bowl two years after Mm -hmm. sitting out a year, is it bat bleep crazy to sit Joe Burrow for a year, especially with a shortened offseason, and just play Andy Dalton and see how it goes? Like Andy Dalton is never going to be anybody else than himself. But if he has a better year with a few different weapons, A.J. Green comes back, and maybe they're competitive. Maybe they do what Miami did last year, and they go five and eleven, six and ten, and Dalton plays well. Like you might be able to actually get something for him in a trade if he is. I don't know his contract situation, but if he if he is still under contract, you might actually be able to get something for a trade. I got to check that, but I just don't feel like anyone's going to give you anything now, and it's not a bad yeah, idea. I mean, Jameis feels like the we're we're still waiting on Cam Newton, right? Yeah, he hasn't like, signed anywhere. It's Cam Newton and it's uh, no, Andy sorry. Dalton. Dalton is in the last year of his contract. So, so yeah, I mean, they, if if it if you if he's already under contract, you can afford him. What's the harm in that right. point if you're not going to get any sort of adequate compensation? I mean, clearly that's the direction that the Redskins are going to go with Trent Williams had uh, San Francisco not come through with the fifth and the third next year. So you could also try to pull like a Sam Bradford situation with yeah. Dalton, where you hang on to him and see if somebody's quarterback gets hurt. And never you know, the bad way to th- go. Then trade him after that, or even a couple weeks into the season. So no. uh, that will be interesting to watch. Courtney, fun show today. Lots of uh, Packer drama and so forth. And uh, you picked the Vikings to be nine seven. So well, always makes for a good time. You know that after they do anything else, you're going to pick them again. Of course, fake schedule. It'll be like next week. All right, we'll talk to you on Thursday, Courtney. Uh, thank you all for listening as usual. And coming up next, Mackie and Judd with Rami here on Score North. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more.
All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.